All right, great to see everybody this morning. And uh, we are going to open the Word together in just a moment. But first, I do have one quick announcement I want to talk about, which is Journey Groups. Journey Groups uh, will have a new Journey Group catalog next week, Sunday, that will have a list of uh, some new groups that you can get into. And so if you are not currently in a Journey Group, I really encourage you to be thinking about that this week. And then next week, when you see the list of all the groups, uh, pick a group and get in it. Also, if you are interested in leading a group and you've not talked to me yet, now is the time as we put together this new catalog. Um, I'm open to suggestions for people who want to lead new groups. So let me know and we'll, uh, we'll get you in there. So today we are continuing our series of origin stories. And if you missed the introduction last week, uh, you can pick that up online at clearwater.church. And in that intro sermon, Pastor Mike really only preached about the first four words of the book of Genesis. Um, We talked about it a bit, and we decided not to spend an entire week on every four words. Um, We have decided instead, though, but we will be spending quite a bit of time talking about these these origin stories, because your, your, your origin story and your understanding of where you come from is so important to understanding who we are and our place in the world. So we will be uh, talking about it quite a bit. So today we're going to start looking and talking about Genesis chapter 1, which is the ultimate origin story. And it tells about the story of the origin of the whole universe, the planet Earth, all the life that we see around us, and it gives us the true origin story of humanity. And by telling and discussing this origin story over the next few weeks, we will come to a a better understanding of the world, a better understanding of ourselves, and we will understand our relationships with each other and with uh, the rest of creation and with God better. So before we dig into the text right now, uh, let's just take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for creating us and for uh, making us and giving us life so that we can enjoy your creation and enjoy each other and enjoy a relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us now as we look at your word to understand it clearly, open our hearts, open our minds. May we hear from your spirit today. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to start looking at this uh, very famous uh, text, this origin story, starting right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And so as God is creating the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, and especially the Bible focuses on the forming of the earth, since this is the earth's origin story, Um, And and as God creates the earth in verse 11, it describes how he began to put life into the earth. It says, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, 
according to their various kinds. And it was so. And then a few verses further down, he creates the sea creatures and the birds to fill the oceans and the skies. Verse 20 there, it says, And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And then he creates all the animals that live on the dry land. It says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their various kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move on the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And then um, this origin story reaches its climax in verse 26. In verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the living animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is a beautiful origin story. It's a story of an incredibly powerful and creative God. There's no conflict or struggle here as he's uh, creating the world. God simply speaks the entire universe into existence. What kind of a God can just do that? We have an amazing God. And despite the fact that he's creating everything here and and the, the, the scale and the scope of his creation, he gives special attention to all the details. It says that he creates all of the plants and animals, each according to their various kinds. Have you guys ever seen those uh, those videos from uh, the BBC Planet Earth, where they show all the different uh, wondrousful things all around the world, the different uh, ecosystems and all the weird creatures that live in these very specific environments all over the globe? You've got forests full of trees, you've got sharks and whales, you've got birds that have gorgeous feathers and kind of weird mating dances and stuff, and you've got, you've got the, this biblical origin story is that all of that variety, all of that life was made by our powerful creator God. And the Bible presents humanity as a special part of that creation. God did not just make us as just another one of the animals that live on the dry land. In a separate act of creation, God declared that he would make mankind in his own image. And that is something that is not said about any other part of creation. Only people are made in the image of God. And then God gives us a mandate. As his image bearers, we are assigned a special role In the creation, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So as people, we are made in the image of God and we are given a key role in the creation as the servants of God. We are to rule over, subdue, and care for the rest of creation. 
We're to study and learn about the world around us. We are to learn to harness the resources that God has provided us with. And that mandate is tied with our being in the image of God. As God's special representatives bearing His image, we have a special role in God's world, and God has a different relationship with us than He has with anything else in creation. And we're going to talk about a lot of the implications of that and more of the details of it and stuff as the weeks go on in this series on origin stories. But today, there's another issue that we need to spend some time talking about. And the issue is that there is a competing origin story, an alternative story that's out there in the world. The modern scientific community tells a very different origin story. In the modern scientific origin story, there's no need for a creator God. This origin story says that everything we see around us, the universe, all the stars and galaxies, the sun, the moon, the earth, and all the life on earth came about through an entirely natural and material process, following the laws of physics and chemistry, with no supernatural intervention. Furthermore, humanity is simply a part of the animal world, not categorically different than the rest of the living things on earth. I bet you've heard that story before. In fact, you've probably heard that story presented as an indisputable fact. Many people see that origin story as the plain and obvious truth that is no more open for debate than the law of gravity. The Big Bang, evolution, and all the rest of the details of this naturalistic origin story are seen by many as the truth with a capital T. And anyone who disbelieves or even doubts the truth of this story is seen as ignorant and foolish. And so we have two stories that offer different explanations for the origin of the universe and the origin of life and the origin of humanity. For non-Christians, that's not a problem. You see, they just reject the biblical story as a religious myth, and they believe the story presented by the scientific community. It's not a problem for them to to, uh, reject the teaching of the Bible because they just don't feel much of a dilemma there. I mean, they don't care about the Bible. But for many Christians, the situation is different. We want to believe the Bible and the origin story that is presented there, but we also recognize that human reason and thinking is part of the image of God in us. And we respect the contribution of science and reason to human knowledge. And when scientists seem to be so certain about something, we are hesitant to dismiss their position lightly. And of course, when doubting evolution is seen as foolish ignorance and anti-scientific prejudice, we don't want to be labeled like that. For many Christians, when they are confronted with these competing origin stories, it's quite a dilemma. And so one solution that Christians have tried is to find a way to harmonize biblical teaching and uh, the teachings of the modern scientific community. 
we could say that there is no conflict between the two origin stories. And there's a few ways that that can be done. But uh, one way is to say that it's just not possible uh, for there to be conflict between science and religion because they do not speak on the same topics. People say something along the lines of, science is all about the physical world, whereas religion is all about the spiritual world. And so, you know, the physical world and the spiritual world are different. So you can't have a conflict between science and religion. As long as they are kept to their correct spheres of knowledge, we won't have a problem. But the problem with that solution is that science and religion do not keep to their separate spheres. They, in fact, overlap significantly. The Bible has a lot of things to say about various aspects of the physical world. And science does encroach on spiritual areas. The two origin stories we've seen are are a key example of that. The teaching of the scientific community is not simply that mutation and natural selection uh, could explain the varieties of life that we see. The scientific premise is that this happened in a completely naturalistic way that did not involve any outside divine influence. God's involvement is excluded by the scientific position on this issue. The histories of the Bible are another place where our faith stories speak about things that are also taught by uh, science. So are the stories of the history of Israel as told in the Bible compatible with the findings of archaeology? The Bible and archaeology speak on the same topics when they both talk about how the Medo-Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire. There's a potential there that they could uh, conflict because they're not keeping to separate spheres. There is a potential for conflict. So we cannot simply rule out the possibility of conflict and contradiction between the teachings of science and the teachings of the Bible. And so as Christians, when we see what appears to be a conflict between the origin stories of Genesis and the origin stories of the modern scientific community, we have a genuine dilemma. And sometimes that dilemma can cause a good Christian to experience doubts about their faith. Sometimes we feel a conflict like this and we are not sure what to believe. Maybe the Bible is wrong. Maybe God doesn't really exist. Maybe this whole church thing is just the foolish falsehood that my biology professor says it is. Of course, there's other sources of doubt in our lives too. It's not always about science. Maybe the big issue for you is a more personal one. Maybe you've had some bad things happen in your life that make you wonder if there really is a good God watching over you. Or maybe your source of doubt stems from your interactions with friends from different faiths or or friends who have no faith at all, and you just can't see how it could be true that they're all destined for hell if they don't become Christians. Or maybe you read about the slaughter of the Canaanites by the invading Israelites in the book of Joshua and how God tells them to kill everyone, men, women, and children. And you just don't want to believe in a God that would give his people instructions like that. But whatever the source of your doubt might be, the reality is that it is not uncommon for Christians 
to experience some doubts about their faith from time to time. So how should we feel about doubts? What should we do when we experience doubt? And what should we do when we hear someone else uh, confiding in us that they're having doubts? Well, let's look a little bit at what the Bible has to say about doubts. And one place to look for that is in the book of Jude. In the book of Jude, it says this. It says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. So in Jude, the Bible is speaking here about, to people who just don't know what to believe. See, in Jude's day, there were, there were false teachers that were teaching all this uh, stuff about God and about Jesus that was contrary to the truth. But the people didn't know which to believe. Should they believe these guys or should they believe the apostles who first taught them? And the Bible commands mercy, compassion, and concern for people in this situation, not judgment and condemnation. And clearly, that also applies to how we should treat ourselves, right? Should we feel guilt and shame because of our doubts? No, be merciful to yourself. (laughs) Times of doubt are a normal part of the life of faith. So how do we do what, uh, what Jude says there and save others or save ourselves and snatch them from the fire? Right? Well, it's by helping them to deal with doubts in a healthy way. And that starts with compassion and mercy in place of condemnation and judgment. We need to realize that having times of doubt can actually be a pathway to stronger faith. When we have confronted a challenge to our faith and we have settled our doubts, our faith is stronger on the other side. In some ways, it's kind of like our immune system, right? Once we've experienced a disease, our body learns to become resistant to future infections. We now have a stronger immune system as a result of having been sick. And so in a kind of a similar way, once our faith has been tested by a tragic event or a difficult teaching of Scripture or whatever it is, and we have passed through the challenge, our faith is stronger than it was before it was tested. But, of course, that's not necessarily always the case, right? The disease could kill you. Your doubts could destroy your faith. So at the risk of pushing this whole metaphor a little bit too far, how do we take the right spiritual medicine to make sure that we make a full recovery from our doubts. Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge the question to yourself and to God. Just admit that, man, I've I've got this, this thing that really concerns me. Admit it to yourself, admit it to God. And then you need to look for answers to this question. If this is a serious matter that really puts you in danger of, of, of uh, wrecking your faith, then, then it's worth spending some significant time and energy tracking down an answer to your question. And uh, depending on what it is that's caused your doubts, this could be about doing some reading or some study on a theological issue or spending some time in prayer or seeking counsel from a mentor or a pastor or maybe a Christian counselor. Uh, But do what you need to do 
to deal with that issue directly and find an answer, find a solution to your dilemma. But of course, you won't always find an answer that really satisfies all of your doubts and clears the matter up completely. Sometimes after we've done all that we can, we're still uncomfortable with the issue that has caused our doubts. And when that happens, that's when we need to be like this guy that Jesus encountered during his uh, earthly ministry. This guy had brought his son to Jesus in hope that Jesus could heal him. And here's what, what the Bible tells us about that story. The guy comes and he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus did not respond to this guy, oh, you still have unbelief? Well, sorry then, that's not good enough. Come back when you believe 100%. No, Jesus had mercy and compassion on this man, and he healed his son. He did what he asked. You see, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That is a different attitude than I don't believe. Right? When we struggle with doubts and we have sought answers and we have found none that satisfy, ask God for help. Ask him to help you overcome your unbelief. Another way to win the battle with doubt is to move our focus onto other areas where our faith is strong. See, you don't need to be fixated on your problem all the time. Sometimes, if we get some perspective, we might conclude that while that particular issue is still troublesome, we don't have to have a satisfying answer for it. It isn't a big enough issue to wreck our faith on. We can live with some tension and uncertainty in some areas of our life. We can trust that God is God even if we don't understand some things about Him. Even if the teachings of modern scientific community conflict with the teachings of the Bible. We don't have to have an answer for every question. We can focus on the things that we do understand, on the things that bring us peace and bring us confidence. One of the most famous examples in the Bible of someone who doubted uh, is the disciple Thomas. Thomas was one of Jesus' 12 hand-picked guys who had then spent three years traveling about with Jesus, listening to him teach. Thomas had even been sent out to do ministry by Jesus to, to preach the gospel and to, to do things. And, and yet when Jesus was crucified, it caused huge doubts for Thomas. And then the first time when Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had risen from the dead, Thomas happened to not be there. And when the other guys came and told Thomas, hey, we saw Jesus, he did not believe them. Here's what Thomas said. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then it was, it was a whole week later that Jesus again appears to his friends, and this time Thomas was there. 
And Jesus gave him the gentlest of rebukes. He said to him, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And at that point, Thomas made the greatest declaration of faith in Jesus made by anyone in any of the gospel stories. Thomas then says, my Lord and my God. You see, when you have doubts, you need to strive to be like the man who, whose son needed healing, who said, I believe, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And you need to strive to come through your doubts like Thomas, who at first did not believe, but then after overcoming his doubts, he had the strongest faith of all. Now, I want to come back to the specific issue that God is talking about doubts, uh, which is our two competing origin stories. We have a conflict here. On the one side is the teaching of the Bible, on the other side is the teaching of science. So how are we to approach this conflict, whether the issue here is creation and evolution or some other conflict? Uh, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is truthful and accurate in everything that it teaches. The Bible does not make mistakes. We also believe that reason and the powers of observation are gifts of God that he has given us uh, that also result in the discovery of truth. And when both are rightly understood, we hold that there will be no ultimate conflict between right science and a right understanding of the Bible. However, it is very possible that either of or both of those could be wrong. That is, we could misunderstand the observational evidence, our powers of reason could be mistaken, and our scientific conclusions could be inaccurate. In fact, this has happened many, many times throughout the history of science. Um, our best scientific understanding of the way that things work has been proven on further observation to be wrong, and we have many, many times had to change our best scientific beliefs to match up with the latest scientific understandings. One good example of that is uh, a belief from the relatively recent history that a good way to treat sicknesses was to drain some of the blood out of the person. And by bleeding them, you could remove some of the bad blood and the infection or whatever it was that they thought was in there. And so by taking out some of their blood, then you could help them to recover more quickly. But of course, now we have learned that that scientific theory was wrong and we don't believe in it anymore. And it would be easy to come up with hundreds of examples of scientific ideas that were once taught that we have now discovered, oh, that wasn't true after all. So when we see a conflict between the Bible and the teaching of current science, we might conclude that our best scientific evidence, our best scientific conclusions are in fact wrong and we should rather believe the Bible. On the other hand, when we see a conflict between the Bible and the teaching of modern science, it could be that our understanding of the Bible is wrong. 
Not that the Bible itself is wrong, but that uh, it does not, in fact, teach what we thought that it taught. Uh, the most famous example of that uh, is, uh, happened when Copernicus and Kepler and Galileo and some of these other guys, Tycho Brahe and all these scientists, were, uh, over the course of a few decades were discovering that, in fact, the sun was the center of the solar system and the earth revolved around the sun rather than what everyone had always thought, which was that the earth was the center and everything was moving around the earth. And when they started teaching that, theologians such as Martin Luther, who happened to be uh, contemporary with these guys, responded that this was contrary to the teaching of the Bible, and therefore it must be false. Here's what uh, Luther said in a, in a letter. He said, there is talk of a new astrologer. He was talking about Copernicus here. A new astrologer who wants to prove that the earth moves and goes around instead of the sky, the sun, and the moon. The fool wants to turn the whole art of astronomy upside down. However, as Holy Scripture tells us, so did Joshua bid the sun stand still and not the earth. Well, um, so in addition to that story from the book of Joshua about the sun standing still in the sky so that Joshua could uh, continue fighting his enemies, um, there are other places in Scripture, too, where it says things like this. It says stuff like, the Lord has set the earth on its foundations, and it shall not be moved. And that's, that's a, a phrase that's repeated several times in the Psalms. So when they were confronted with this new scientific theory of the solar system from these astronomers, many theologians believed that this was a contradiction of Scripture, and therefore it must be false. And Galileo was actually condemned by the Catholic Church as a heretic for his scientific teachings. However, we now recognize... That the descriptions of the sun rising and setting, or of on that one miraculous occasion of the sun standing still, those are normal descriptions of the way that things appear and not technical scientific statements. The Bible does not actually teach that the earth is sitting still while the sun revolves around it. So, in instances like this, we have corrected our understanding of the Bible based on the teachings of science. We're not saying that, the, uh, that science proved that the Bible was, was teaching something false. No, we just misunderstood what the Bible was saying, and the scientific evidence caused people to take another look at the Scriptures and see whether they really taught what they had thought they taught. And so, when we have a conflict between our understanding of the Bible and the latest, best scientific theories, there are two very real possibilities. It could be that uh, our understanding of the Bible is flawed, or it could be that our understanding of science is flawed. Both of those have happened in the past. And both of them are possible now. So, how do we know which one to believe? Well, we cannot automatically assume that either one or the other is always correct in every case. 
Our best approach then is this. We must weigh the evidence for each proposition and judge which seems to be most likely to be the correct understanding. And we do this by asking two questions. The first question is, how clearly does the Bible teach this proposition? Is it only mentioned once in passing? Or is it a repeated teaching that's emphasized in the text? Is it in poetic and metaphorical language? Or is it plainly and clearly stated? Are there other ways that the passage could be understood that make good sense of the text? I know that was a bunch of questions, but that's all one question. That's the first question. How clearly does the Bible teach this proposition? And then the second question is, how strong is the scientific evidence for this proposition? Are we talking about something with undeniable evidence, like the shape of the earth being a globe rather than being flat? Can the scientific evidence be interpreted in other ways? Are we able to confirm the proposition through repeated experimentation? Is there a scientific counter-evidence that does not support the position and causes us to doubt it? So all of those kind of questions about the scientific evidence. How strong is that scientific evidence? How clearly does the Bible really teach the other side? And next week, Pastor Mike is going to be following that procedure of, uh, with the two rival origin stories that we have been talking about today. He'll be looking at the biblical data. What does the Bible actually say? How clearly is it stated and taught in the Bible? Uh, how clearly does the Bible teach that Adam and Eve were real people and that they were the first humans? How clear is the biblical evidence that the earth is only a few thousand years old? And then we're also going to be looking at some of the scientific evidence uh, for the other origin story. How strong is the evidence that the earth is actually billions of years old? How clear is the evidence that humans evolved from primitive aquatic creatures? And then we will together take steps toward a better understanding of God, of ourselves, and of the world around us. So make sure you're here next week to hear that. I know all you guys in the back aren't going to be here next week, but uh, you can pick it up online (laughs) and uh, be sure to to get that. And we will be uh, looking at those uh, those evidences and we will be weighing those things and seeing uh, how should we be feeling about this this, uh, conflict between science and religion. And... The last thing that I want to um, leave us with today is a call for humility in these areas. Um, We all need to uh, approach uh, doubts of all kinds, whether it's related to uh, evolution and creation or other things in, in our faith and life, with some humility and compassion for those who feel uh, doubts. And we need to uh, not be insistent that our way is the only way of seeing things and anyone who sees things differently is a fool. No, we are to be humble and treat one another with mercy, love, and compassion. So, and that includes how you treat yourself when you have doubts too. Let's pray. Our Father... 
We thank you that you have revealed our origin to us in your word. And Lord, I pray that all of us, when we have these times of doubt in our lives, that you would help us to be like Thomas, who came through stronger in the end. Lord, help us to deal with doubt in a healthy way. And and may our faith be renewed and strengthened through it. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.